put on the parka of God, right? <laughs> Thank you, Dawn. <laughs> Finally, sisters and brothers, from Paul's perspective, rooted as he is in Christ Jesus, our world is large. In Ephesians, we get a sense of the cosmic spaciousness Paul perceives in the Christian story. God is large. Yet God is not simply above us, up in the sky. God is personal. God comes down to speak with us, as he did with Cain. God's concern stretches from the ends of the galaxy to the cellular level of every human being. This astonishing good news is the core of the message Paul conveys. The passage today begins with the word finally. After everything, Paul points out, After everything I've explained to you, here it is. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Paul was educated in Hebrew and Greek contexts. In Hebrew scripture, Genesis begins with the assumption that people have moral responsibility. By moral I refer to principles and practices hovering around the question of how I should regard and treat other people and how I should regard and treat myself. How we treat ourselves is part of the story. Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper? Oh, contains so many misdirections. One of them is lying. No, Cain, you are not your brother's keeper. He is not less than you. You are your brother's brother. Abel, uh, sin is crouching at your door. But you must master it. Cain does not master himself. He doesn't take up God's invitation of godly support for his personal self-mastery. Leviticus spells out enlightened guidelines for the responsibility we have for how we regard and treat others and how we regard and treat ourselves. In the guidelines, we become aware or we're made aware of how we're causing harm. We repent, we publicly acknowledge the harm we've caused, and we make amends. The moral context for acting rightly was communal. Life was lived out before other members. What they thought of us mattered. The Levitical standard was based on what God-fearing communal members would do. The moral framework was social, something like a small rural town 
in Canada used to be. From a Greek perspective, moral responsibility was informed by two major players, Socrates and Aristotle. Socrates, used to, uh, Socrates said that to know the good is to do the good. The problem with trying to figure out what's good for Socrates is human understanding. Once I understand what is good, I just do it according to Aristotle, and according to Socrates. And Aristotle disagreed. He saw plenty of people who seemed to know a great deal, and they harmed other people, and they harmed themselves. Aristotle thought that we could practice treating other people in the right way and learn to be good that way. Practice makes practically perfect. Of course, for Aristotle, there were just things we couldn't help doing. For example, if you were drunk and you killed somebody, you couldn't help it. You were drunk. Tell that story to mothers against drunk driving. If you were an elite Greek male, you could get away with a lot that we no longer find acceptable. Racism? No problem. Athens was the only society worth being a member of. Everything else was inferior. Question solved. Inequality? No problem. In Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle says, if an official inflicted a wound, he should not be wounded in return. And if someone wounded an official, he ought not to be wounded only, but punished in addition. Police who brutalize racialized groups apparently agree with Aristotle, a situation we no longer tolerate. The Greek standard was based on what a good, elite, privileged male could be counted on to do. Now, Greek and Hebrew worlds were Paul's intellectual context, so it is utterly remarkable that his self-aware analysis of his own humanity brought him to the insights he expresses in Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do. Paul says, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Following Jesus, Paul's standard for his own humanity was godly. But he acknowledged its frailty. The 20th century German social theorist Hannah Arendt referred to Paul's self-aware insight as his I-can't-ness principle. It was a new insight into the human condition. Paul describes the human condition. 
He describes me. As I grow older, I continue to be satisfied by descriptions of our humanity in Scripture. With Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's brilliant. Paul's self-awareness is deeply personal because Jesus focused on the personal as a way of balancing out the social. In Matthew, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He also said, what goes into your mouth does not defile you, but what comes out of your mouth, that defiles you, because it comes from your heart. Jesus asked us to examine ourselves. He introduced the personal into social responsibility and went way past what Pharisees expected of themselves. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. Jesus called out the connection between what we are internally and what we show to others. Paul unpacks that connection in Romans. He makes a further shift in analyzing the personal. If the Old Testament world was held together practically by communal guidelines, Paul introduces reason. In Corinthians, as the early church is trying to figure out how to live, which in many ways we are trying to figure out in the moment in which we're living now, Paul shifts attention to our inmost being. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the God and God's spirit lives in you? Paul, following Jesus, dives deeply into the personal and introduces principled thinking. Not everything is beneficial for you. Let nothing master you. Flee idolatry. Flee sexual immorality. And another principle is added by John in his letters. Walk the life of love. John goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If we say we love, we love God and hate a brother or sister, we are liars. Those who love God must also love one another. If people in the past were good because of what others thought of them, Paul gives reasons along with principles as we try to work out what it means to be Christian. As we follow Jesus, we're compelled to think things through. Connecting the personal and social harmonizes our image of God. God is large. God is personal. 
with self-aware honesty and social responsibility, Christianity is not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus takes courage and compassion. Finally, sisters and brothers, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Given the complexity of the human condition spoken of by Jesus, analyzed by Paul, the passage in Ephesians rounds out a picture of the human condition that's remarkable. As an antidote to the alarm bells that honest self-awareness rings loudly in our ears. Have you ever said to yourself, if people really knew me, they would not like me? Paul makes it clear that the struggle of the faithful is won by Jesus. What a wretched man I am, says Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The moral standard is no longer the good member, no longer the elite male. Christianity raises the standard to perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly parent is perfect. It is an impossible standard that not one of us can reach in our own strength. If we think of past centuries, it's not misleading to say to think that current western cultures adopt many christian values for how to regard and treat other people with one difference that makes all the difference. As we learn to live with freedom in Christ, we put on body armor. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the belt of truth. Righteous outer garments, readiness made possible by the gospel of peace footwear, a faith shield, a salvation helmet, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Relying on God's word, we make inroads into culture. Everything else is for our protection. This protection is not against other people, but against evil. These verses are sometimes used to justify a perpetual, warlike disposition toward the whole world and all people expressed as a constant, crabby disdain for even hatred of the world. That is not what God has on offer for us. This is not the purpose of body armor. I continue to choose the cosmology of Ephesians to shape my life. And what does this narrative give back to me the way all stories that we hold close to us give back to us? I recall a moment when I was working in an abusive institution and my boss was a bully. As I walked by his office, I thought to myself, if Satan were sitting in his chair, how would we be any different than we are now? It was the firm, strong, 
persistent insistence in Ephesians that rescued me from this inhuman thought. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. When Satan is wearing his favorite, a favorite disguise, we're led into a dark, dank forest of self-hatred. And we're tricked into believing that we're worthless, ugly, and alone. How might our lives be different if we focused firmly on Ephesians' cosmological universe? What would be different if we were sure, sure other people are not the enemy, but neither are they the standard to which we strive. How do we understand evil in our day? One way is to see systemic abuse as an outcome of enemy games. Satan loves to annihilate our humanity. Following Jesus Paul dove deeply into the personal. He provides us with principles and reasons for why we should pay attention to the harm we cause others and the harm we cause ourselves. Can we celebrate our humanity, yet remain aware of not letting anything gain mastery over us? Why, Why is it that we complete the following sentence fragments Fragment in the ways we do. I'm only human, so I can't help gossiping about you. I'm only human, so I can't help betraying you and handing you over to suffering. I'm only human, so I'm leaving you and the children. I can't. I'm only human, so I can't. I can't. I can't. Paul agrees that our humanity is frail. But God does not abandon us there. COVID offers insight into balancing the personal and the social responsibility and the strangeness of human freedom. For decades, North Americans exaggerated human freedom, espousing the false notion that freedom is only freedom if it has no limits. But COVID awakens us to this error. We're free to get vaccinated or not. No, wait. We have a social responsibility to protect others in the healthcare system. We're free to do whatever we want. No, wait. We're connected to each other. It's a personal choice. But we infect each other. Am I my brother's keeper? Christianity compels us to think things through. In trying to To figure out how to live personally, early Christians didn't ignore moral responsibility for how one person regards and treats another. 
Their controversy about eating meat that had been offered to idols is a very good example of how the deeply personal was understood in the context of how we regard and treat other people, and they honestly tried to work that out. As we follow Jesus, we remain enthralled by the balance between our freedom in Christ and loving concern for neighbors, people who share our humanity. Am I my brother's brother? Who will rescue us in the complexity of living as Christians? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long And high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For we have this treasure in jars of clay. There is truth and beauty along with personal and social complexity in Christianity. How is it going with you and God and your humanity? If you focus on God as the one who sees you, do you long to fling open your heart before the one who loves and redeems you? Do you happily get dressed in the armor of God? Are you fearful of what God will do with you if God ever gets access to your inmost being? These are questions I've asked myself my whole life. They're worth asking in the inner being of each one of us. Even so, come Lord Jesus.